for cultivating progress across the South, for working to unconditionally improve the lives of all, and for the bold underwriting of every Gravy podcast, SFA thanks our visionary Louisville, Kentucky friends, Pam and Brooke Smith. Okay, John T., you ready for a game? Yep. We're going to play Foodways Jeopardy. You ready? Sure. Okay. What are the four fish we eat the most in the United States? Catfish. No. Try again. Tuna and salmon, probably. Yes. Two more. Um, you, you know the answer. Tell me the answer. Remember, U.S. consumers look for a flavor profile. Pale, mild tasting. Like bass and cod. Yes. So, essentially, we're eating these four fish into extinction. And that's a problem. Tell me more. Well, we're also overfishing, and the resources we put into farmed fish are massive and likely unsustainable. As the Marvelettes would have us know, there are so many other fish in the sea. Including one we can eat without guilt, the lionfish. It's ugly, it's bright, it's red, it's orange, it's spiny, it's mildly poisonous, and it's a bully, too. It's a nice reef you've got there. It would be a shame if anything happened to it. I'm John T. Edge. And I'm Melissa Hall. We're your hosts for Gravy. 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 A production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, Gravy tells new and complicated stories about the changing American South. Wilson Sayer takes us to South Florida, where the lionfish is no laughing matter. It's 6 o'clock in the morning on Conk Key, a small island at mile marker 63 on the Overseas Highway, which connects the Florida Keys all the way from Key West to mainland Florida. It's that time of the morning just before the sun peaks over the horizon that feels extra dark and still. But Gary Nichols and his crew of three on the 43-foot G-Force are already heading out on the water for the day. This is a working boat. No frills. A few extra lobster traps stacked in one corner, empty coolers and baskets waiting to collect the day's catch. As soon as the boat comes up to its first buoy attached to a line of traps, the crew swings into action. They quickly organize into what looks like a well-oiled machine. They winch up the line, reset the bait, grab the lobsters, then stack the traps. When that's done, the traps go back into the ocean. In a few weeks, the crew will be back here to repeat the whole process. But on the first trawl of the day, Nichols notices something other than lobsters in the traps. There's a lionfish in there. Hang on. I want you to show her that lionfish is over the traps. She's standing there over the top. Don't, don't do nothing. Let her just look at it. This is what I've come to see, and where Nichols gets at least one of his nicknames. My, my wife, actually, and my daughters started calling me the Lion King because we started catching lionfish all the time. So on the back of my truck, I actually have a picture of, a, and it says the Lion King with a lionfish. Inside the trap is a fish about the size of a small paperback book. It's striped a rusty orange and white. A dozen long, thin spikes stick out of the top of the fish. The fins and tails are also spiky. It's got black eyes and a big mouth. The lionfish is not something you'd want to accidentally encounter while swimming. Lionfish, if you get stung by a lionfish, we, we've had my mates, I've taken them to the hospital, I've had people 
that have, um, we've had the paramedics meet us at the dock. We had one guy whose throat swelled shut. That's kind of the deal with the lionfish. The sharp spines on the lionfish deliver a venom to unfortunate victims. And so with this lionfish in the trap, this fisherman gingerly picking it up and throwing it in a basket. Another crew member soon finds a small trident-like spear to help in moving the lionfish. Originally, we were catching four or five fish like cotton wicks, little grunts, porgies, things like that, to a lionfish. Three years later, we were one-to-one. -one. Everything that goes in the trap was a lionfish. At, at times, you know, we were catching as much as a thousand pounds of lionfish in a day. So I got some pictures with 30, 40 lionfish to a trap. They were just out of control. Can you imagine finding one of these ugly, thorny, bulgy-eyed predators in a grocery store? Lionfish look like they belong in some sort of aquarium. In fact, the theory on how they ended up in the Atlantic and Gulf is that someone, or a few someones, dumped their aquarium into the ocean. They're not just invasive. They are also destroying natural reef habitats by eating up all the fish around them. Lionfish stomachs can expand some 30 times their resting size, and often their voracious appetite is most easily satisfied by a steady diet of baby reef fish. The things that I don't see in the Gulf or here, jackknives, some hamlets, I haven't seen them anymore. A lot of the jawfish, don't see them. Those are small fish, blennies, little blennies. Even the juvenile uh, angelfish, used to see lots of the little, you know, tropical reef fish, and that's kind of a, a real bummer because that's something that makes the reefs beautiful. And so Nichols is seeing all of these lionfish in his traps, hundreds of pounds of this stuff. What does he do with all of it? He decides to try and sell them and convince chefs to put this spiny, venomous fish on their menus. My dad and I actually took the lionfish off the boat, took them to, the, to four or five different restaurants, we presented them to the, um, the chefs at the restaurants, and this was, in, this was about 10 years ago when we first started seeing the lionfish, and they didn't know how to cook them or prepare them or anything, so it was a new, new thing. They eventually convince a chef at a local Keys restaurant to buy all they had to sell it as a sort of novelty. And so over time, lionfish, which now go for about $7 a pound, became a great income boost for nickels, especially when the lobster catch wasn't that great. The prices are very good. They've been averaging a low of $5 in the beginning, and it's been staying around $6.50, $7 now. At the end of the day, the G-Force returns to dock. It offloads a couple hundred pounds of lobster. A few locals come by hoping to get in on the fresh catch. The rest goes to a Chinese distributor. The lionfish. I think we have one, two, three, four, five, six, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 23 lionfish, which is about 12 pounds. So where will this all go? These will go to Chef Michael's restaurant. The cozy seafood restaurant is just a few miles up the road in Isle Morada. There, Christian Ledwith, Chef Michael's son, serves up the lionfish to curious diners after removing the venomous spikes. These ones we would trim with a scissor. Cutting off the spines there. Yeah. Um, but we get poked a lot, um, filleting them, or there's not really any way of protecting yourself from them. <laughs> <laughs> but people like them, so it's a double-edged sword pretty much. And the fillets are really small. So it's probably like three ounces per fillet. Maybe less, two ounces. So you get like six to seven fillets of lionfish for your order. Wow. Yeah. That's a ton. Yeah, but they're only like three inches. They're like that big and like they're petite. 
One of Ledwith's favorite preparations is a filet and chardonnay butter sauce. This spiky fish that can send people to the hospital if they get poked gets ready for the plate. There it goes in, into a cream sauce, the scallops and the shrimp. Wow, that looks beautiful. All right, here we go. My first bite ever of lionfish. Mmm. Pretty good, right? Mmm. That is so light. It is. It's very delicate. That is delicious. Like, it does taste almost like a... Is it like a grouper? Yeah, like, it the, yeah, it's got body to it. But the sauce is not overpowering. That's how I would get it. Either with the Chardonnay butter sauce or the so key lime butter sauce. Um, it's like very sweet and mild in flavor. The texture is uh, pretty much very similar to hogfish. It's much more bland than other fish like mahi or yellowtail and stuff like that. At Chef Michael's, they'll also prepare the fish whole, at least mostly whole. The presentation, I think, is the one, number one thing, seeing uh, it walk by as you're sitting at your table and you're like, what the hell is that? And uh, then that's how you get people hooked in. I think they're pretty dang good. For him, he views this dish not only through the lens of a cook, but as a diver. Like when I was a kid growing up down here, going spearfishing and everything, I never saw lionfish. And I went out two weeks ago and I saw four lionfish in three different spots we went out to, like two miles apart. And it's ridiculous. Um, so it's kind of a scary thing, I guess. Ledwith and the restaurant are serving lionfish in an attempt to preserve the coral reefs, to fight back against this pariah that's gobbling up all the fish that should be living in these reef ecosystems. And this idea has really taken hold in South Florida, that maybe, just maybe, we can eat lionfish, not only as a way to eat sustainably, but as a way to make a conscious culinary choice to protect the environment. There's at least a few scientists, though, who don't think that eating our way out of the problem is actually going to work. When we come back, we'll meet one of those scientists who really isn't a believer that we can eat our way out of the lionfish problem. Do lionfish roar? Mm, We're not going to answer that. (laughs) But first... Simmons Catfish calls the Mississippi Delta home. I'm Harry Simmons, and I've been farming catfish since 1976. Get him talking catfish, and he'll speak of the quality of what his family raises in the loyalty of customers. But what he really gets excited about is the opportunity his company offers his community. Most of my management, upper management, and people working at this plant, I went to high school with. So we all like this community. We like Yazoo County and Humphreys County, Yazoo City and Belzone and Louise. We're the largest employer in Yazoo County. That's what I'm proud of, that people that wanted to stay in this community could, where a lot of the communities in the Delta are struggling to keep their population. The next time you crave catfish, baked, fried, or in a stew, look for Simmons Farm-Raised Catfish, a driver of the Delta economy. A list of vendors is online at SimmonsCatfish.com. For their commitment to quality catfish, their belief in the Delta, and their support of this podcast, we thank them. The movement in Florida to eat lionfish has developed a few catchy phrases. 
eat him to beat him, take a bite out of lionfish. Dan Simberloff is skeptical. Not only skepticism, but but great concern, because this is just one of other instances where people have suggested, hey, we can solve or at least ameliorate invasive species problems by eating them. And the problem is that we almost certainly can't. Simberloff is a professor in the Ecology and Evolutionary Biology Department at the University of Tennessee. His specialty is trying to understand invasive species, their impacts, how they spread, and how we might get rid of them. I've eaten lionfish, by the way. It's, it's damn good, no doubt <laughs> about that. Simberloff's concern with efforts to conquer the lionfish by eating it boils down to a children's story metaphor. It's, it, it's sort of the Goldilocks idea. We want not too much and not too little, but just the right amount. And, and that's almost impossible to achieve. His logic goes, if lionfish takes off the way chefs and some environmental groups hope it does, there's going to be this demand for lionfish that incentivizes keeping some of it around. And keeping just some around and somehow ensure that the population doesn't explode like it has, that's an almost impossible ask. And there's actually examples of this elsewhere. A number of islands in the Pacific were populated with goats in the 18th century as Europeans explored the region and brought the animal with them for food. Well, those goats have taken over, eating everything in sight, as goats do. And moves to get rid of them have gotten pushback because goat is now an essential part of the diet for those who live on these islands now. Lionfish off the coast of Florida are invasive, and therefore, the goal, says Zimberloff, needs to be complete and total elimination. That way it eliminates the cost of continuing management. Um, and so the whole idea of, of maintaining some small population to feed a market it, it, you know, contradicts the, the ultimate goal of getting rid of them. There are so many of them, and they reproduce voraciously. Also, they're in the open ocean where there aren't boundaries. Oh, and to be able to eat them, they have to be caught. And that's not easy either, at all. The, the, the challenge wasn't selling it. The challenging was the purchasing. David Ventura is the seafood coordinator for Whole Foods Market in Florida. Four years ago, he heard about the lionfish problem and local chefs trying to serve it as a way to put a dent in the population. And he decided they should join in and sell the fish at Whole Foods. Lionfish live on reefs, so they can't be fished with a hook and line or dragging a net. Fishermen, like Gary Nichols, can catch them when trapping for other things, like lobster and crab. Or more commonly, divers can spearfish for them. We developed a lot of local relationships, I want to say with a minimum of a, of a dozen scuba diving teams throughout the state. When they're available, people know who to call and where to sell them. But it's not all the time. Because it's mostly scuba diving caught, you know, if the temperature is too cold, they won't go out. Or if the, if, the, if the seas are too rough, you know, a lot of them have small boats. They can't navigate to get out of port to their location. Or it depends on the clarity of the water. One of the fears is that the lionfish are now moving into deeper waters. But we don't really know. Unfortunately, we don't have a full grasp on how many lionfish are out there in the water. Amanda Nally is with the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. Uh, you know, it's something that we don't really, we haven't really ever done a stock assessment on. What we've had year after year has been more anecdotal. She says this past season, they were hearing that the count is down. 
The state runs an annual lionfish challenge, a derby with prizes for people pulling lionfish out of the water. It's one way that the state has tried to put a dent in the population. They've also encouraged chefs to cook the fish and grocery stores to stock it. Nally will be the first to admit that they don't have all the science to back claims that these efforts targeting lionfish are putting any kind of dent in the overall lionfish population. Even though we don't know 100 percent if this is impacting the population, we do know that programs like this are impacting people. It's definitely making sure that people are aware of this issue, and that is really what I consider to be the biggest success of this. Scientists continue to study the lionfish. In the meantime, everyone's just doing their best with the information they have. So, you know, we will continue to promote these programs. We will continue to look at other programs as well. We are definitely trying as many different ways as possible to be able to encourage lionfish removal and education about lionfish. It's pretty clear that we're not going to be able to rid our reefs of the invasive lionfish species by eating them. But environmentalists say the publicity that lionfish have garnered has raised public awareness of sustainable eating. I I took a pledge about 15 years ago that I would only use fish um, that is sustainable. And choosing lionfish has been at the top of that list. Michelle Bernstein is a beloved and celebrated South Florida chef. She just opened a restaurant in Miami's Little Havana neighborhood called Cafe La Trova. We spoke on the set of her popular television show, SoFlo Taste. Her other show, Check Please South Florida, runs on the local PBS channel. You know, chefs, we can, we can change the world little by little if we educate and we make the right choices. Bernstein put lionfish on her restaurant menus and then showed a national audience how to cook it on Good Morning America. I never thought of myself as an instructor, as a person that would be a leader um, as to, you know, helping people make choices. I thought I only was that as a mother. Um, However, just naturally and organically, as a chef, when you put things on a menu and that being the only thing people can choose, we're already doing that. Bernstein acknowledges people tend to gravitate towards what is familiar. And in the U.S., that's the big four, tuna, salmon, cod, and bass. And this is one of the challenges to not just getting people to eat lionfish, but eat seafood more sustainably in general. And so Bernstein says we have to shift the way we think about eating new kinds of fish, especially if that's lionfish or other invasive species like it. Don't treat it as a novelty. Don't treat it as a trend. Treat it as a mainstay that, you know, is as normal on your dining room table as a breast of chicken. If we don't try to farm things better, if we don't choose things like a lionfish, we won't have fish left. And we won't have them left for not only our grandchildren, but possibly our children. Lionfish alone are not going to solve the seafood sustainability issue. But it has helped propel this conversation in South Florida about how chefs and diners alike can take some responsibility for our oceans even if it's just learning about them over a bite of lionfish. Wilson Sayer produced this episode. Danielle Irby is our editor. Special thanks go to... We thank Wendell Patrick for our theme music, Jazar for our donor music, and Sarah Camp Milam 
for Good Work as our managing editor. Mary Beth Laster is our publisher. Join us March 28th in Birmingham, Alabama for our Spring Symposium. There, you'll hear Food & Wine's restaurant editor, Kushbu Shah, and editor-in-chief Hunter Lewis discuss the future of restaurant criticism. Here's a hint. Yelpers, not a part. <laughs> Visit southernfoodways.org to purchase your tickets and learn more. And while you're there, make a donation. We need your dollars to thrive. I'm John T. Edge. And I'm Melissa Hall. Thanks for letting us pour some gravy in your ear.